She's been on with us before, but we have her back again. And uh, we're going to talk about a model called the CARE model developed by Dr. Leanne Campbell. And I just think it's an awesome tool to introduce to the EFT world. So stay tuned to hear from Dr. Leanne Campbell. Welcome to the Leading Edge in Emotionally Focused Therapy with your hosts, Dr. James Hawkins and Dr. Ryan Reyna. EFT is a dynamic model that humbles even the most seasoned therapists. Together, we want to come alongside you as you continually push the leading edge of your understanding and application of this wonderful model developed by Dr. Sue Johnson. All right, all right. Welcome back, everyone. We're great to, it's great to be back with you and hope you're doing well. As James said, we have a special guest with us, Dr. Leanne Campbell, joining us from uh, Western Canada, Victoria Island, I believe it is. And, yes, uh, Vancouver Island. Vancouver Island. What did I say? Victoria? That's okay. Victoria. Vancouver Island. Yeah, I didn't right. do well in geometry. <laughs> uh, or, or geography. Yeah, really beautiful, beautiful area, though. Uh, it's a little bit ironic that Leanne's with us because just two weeks ago, I did a lecture with someone that was directly sharing with someone else what Leanne taught me about the structure of doing live consults. Hmm. And uh, it was really made this huge impact. And this person's texting me saying, oh, my gosh, this has changed my career. So maybe we'll bring her back a third time to talk about how she manages the hour. But today, a great topic. We're mm -hmm. so glad to have Leanne with us to talk about the care model. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking forward to learning from her. So Leanne, we'll kick it to you. Tell us about the care model. Thank you. So nice to be with both of you again. I am so grateful. Um, so in fact, the CARE model was inspired by consultations and discussions with Fionn Villadas and Zamad Bader and Jim Furrow and Sue Johnson, of course. And then I think we initially published it in the EFIT Primer and did a newsletter article and, you know, been talking about it um, a lot in our various trainings. So um, it's readily identified by the acronym CARE, but in fact, uh, what we're referencing are four key dimensions that we want to stay attuned to, both at the outset of therapy and throughout the therapeutic process. Context, attachment, relationship or the therapeutic alliance, and of course, emotion, as is central to an emotion-focused therapy. Um, so early in therapy, when we're tuning in, um, either with the individual or the couple or the family, we want to pay attention to these four dimensions. And as we always say in EFT, we want to join with our clients in creating what Bowlby would describe as a safe haven alliance with um, curiosity, not assumption. And, you know, sometimes clients come to us with stories and labels and even their own stories that have been given to them by others. And we really want to join with them in uh, a process of exploration and discovery, which is, of course, very much attachment focused. So with regard to context, we want to know about where our individuals, our couples and our families live and where they have lived and where their family members have lived uh, with regard to the broader socio-cultural, political, um, socioeconomic context. So we pay attention 
to identity, to environmental factors. Um, we pay attention to experiences such as discrimination or racism. And we do that. So in EFT, we haven't we do speak about assessment, but we prefer to um, think about assessment in EFT as very much process focused, as an experiential assessment. So when I think about joining with a couple or a family or an individual for the first time, I, I think about being a guest in someone else's home and initially just being kind of politely standing at the door, listening in um, for the way that they describe their experiences, beginning with open-ended questions and then getting more specific. And one of the ways that we can tune into experience is ask about um, pivotal experiences, such as what did it look like at your dinner table? Or if, um, you know, a classic question that we've asked for years, if I were a fly on the wall, what would I see um, when you're distressed or upset or sad? Who do you turn to? Who have you turned to? And what does that look like in your relationship or your family or in, in your current context? So that's C, context. Yeah. And I, then, of course, I'll go ahead. Good. I appreciate you bringing that in, Leanne. You know, what, like, you know, we always say in EFT, while, you know, while e attachment and emotions are universal, I love that you're intentionally bringing in this contextual piece to help get a, a, a clearer picture of the person that's sitting in front of you. So I really appreciate understanding because, you know, like we say, behaviors make sense in context. Well, so do people. People are, their experiences are shaped in context. So thank you for this piece. Yeah, I love the way that you said that. Their experiences are shaped in context. Um, so in the ISEP newsletter article that we wrote, um, and I think it was published in February of 2022, we um, provided a case example, um, someone that I worked with individually. Uh, we just use the name Yezda, and that's the same person we speak about in the primer as well. So she um, comes from a cultural context um, that's characterized by um, immigrant family in um, a major city in Canada and talks about, um, you know, the world and the neighborhood that she grew up in and is a quote, predominantly white community and talks about what that was like. And one of the poignant images that really stands out for me, and um, I think some of you may have seen the video, is being a little girl on the playground watching and not quite knowing how to find herself with these other children, uh, not feeling a sense of belonging. And so one of the things that we think about when we join with our clients is not just um, context, broader context, but of course, attachment theory is a developmental theory and theory of personality. And so we um, tune in with our clients with regard to their developmental history, because of course, our sense of who we are um, is shaped by um, our experiences and key are relational experiences. So uh, Yezda tells me about 
um, not feeling a sense of belonging as this little tiny girl on the playground. She talks to me about bullying. She talks to me about finding resilience. We want to tune into um, pivotal experiences that have shaped model of self and other, not just positive, negative, sorry, or traumatic, um, but also positive. And um, something that she tells me about is finding a refuge in dance and really feeling a sense of competence and confidence in the dance community. But that too was thwarted for various reasons um, in her family context. And then she talks about meeting her um, current partner who um, she's thinking about, um, well, has decided to build a life with and the electric current that surged through her body, she said, when um, she met him as a young woman in a coffee shop that they were both working at. And when I asked her what attracted her to him, and I think it's another great reminder of how important it is um, in terms of the way that we join with people, is she said he, what, he didn't just assume. I look Indian, but I'm not Indian. In fact, um, my father is from Iran and my mother, South America. Uh, and he didn't just assume, he asked me questions. He was curious about who I am. And I felt um, valued and important in that moment, essentially. And that was the beginnings of their relationship. That line hit me, Leanne, when you said that. Like, it just reminded me, be curious about who our clients are. And I think that's part of the essence and the heart why I appreciate the care model. It helps me have a frame to go into that curiosity about them in an organized way. You know, I see many EFTers as they're learning. Um, learning a new model is already hard, and maybe they've already been doing assessment. But the way you and the team have laid out the care model, it helps take some of the guesswork out. You've given me, like, once again, another map again to walk through that assessment phase to be curious about who this pers these person or these people are in front of me. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yes. So we got the yes. C. Are we moving to the A yet? Okay. So in terms of attachment, that's right. Thank you. We tune into pivotal experiences. And again, um, for me, it's easy um, to think developmentally because, of course, when we're thinking about what are we doing in EFIT, we talk about expanding the cell. In couple and family therapy, we talk about um building bonding moments. And of course that shifts and shapes the self. Uh, so we tune into key pivotal experiences that have shaped models of self and other. We tune into the coherence of narrative and especially when working with trauma. We tune into relationship histories and family histories, key pivotal moments that might've impacted the family, for example, loss or divorce or a couple, it might be a miscarriage or infidelity. And we tune into, again, not only risk factors with regard to those histories, but also resiliency factors and resources. It could be um, a spiritual figure. It could be another family member. It could be a coach. It could be a leader in the community. And we tune into, um, of course, from an attachment perspective, whether those relationships um, would be typified as secure or insecure, what that looks like in terms of intimacy in couple relationships or sex. Um, thank you, James, for that great addition to the model that uh, we just added, in fact, this week. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that's. I was just talking to Leanne about like where does you know the sexual component fit into this, and talking about you know Ryan when I was going through, he taught me about Bowlby's five behavioral systems of attachment, and one of the key behavioral systems, particularly in adult romantic relationships, is the sexual system. That is like intercourse. That's the small touches on the backs. That's the sensuality. That's the hugs and the kisses and forms of affection. Like that is a part of attachment as well too. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And indeed, all of those hand-holding studies have uh, very clearly demonstrated that touch soothes the nervous system and is definitely provides resilience under conditions of stress and leaves us growing and developing, which is the, the whole goal. So the other thing that we tune into are potential intergenerational um, impacts, of course. And with regard to the R, relationship. Can I jump back in, Leanne? I, hate, I don't ever yes. like to interrupt brilliant people. But no. speaking of intergenerational, Leanne, I think there's going to be an intergenerational trauma training coming up. Do you want to yes. say anything about that at all real quick? Well, thrilled to be doing that with you, Jane, <laughs> working together once again. Uh -huh. And yes, Robin Williams Blake will be our host, and he's been sending out some information, and registration is now open. Yeah, so Leanne and I will be doing an intergenerational trauma, like the hope of EFT for intergenerational trauma in, in the EFIT model of EFT in December 1st and 2nd, and also on the 8th. You can follow us on our social media platforms. Leanne just came on Instagram, y'all. Like yes. <laughs> you can follow us on social media to find out more about that training. I didn't want to interrupt Julianne. I just wanted to plug that real quick while I was at. Were you going to say something, Ryan? No, no, it's good. Okay. It's good. Well, while, while we're talking about sex, though, let's go back one step. Um, do you do you expand or not expand uh, how much you assess for sexuality based on factors that the client presents? What's your What's your rubric on that kind of mentally? Um. Yeah, it's a good question. I, I, yeah, sort of the best analogy I have for the way that I work would be to follow and lead. Oh, I think we would all say that in EFT. But, um, you know, for example, right now, I've been working with a beautiful um, Indigenous client who, um, would describe herself as lesbian, but that's not really been a big focus for her. Um, that, that there are other aspects of her life um, that have shaped her that are important for her. She has clarity around that. So I think one of the things that we are so cautious about in talking about assessment and feels like we're talking about assessment more in EFT than we have in earlier times, is that it's not a checklist, it's not about diagnosis, and it's not about um, somehow categorizing mm -hmm. and making sense of the client with regard, in, in, rather than narrowing our view, we wanna broaden our view. And uh, as we do that, we want to join with the client. So when I um, am invited into someone's home, they might not show me a certain room and that's mm. okay. I wait until they're ready to share about that and to talk about that. And I trust in the process and I trust in the capacity of our clients as we build a safe alliance and as we build capacity by 
um, moving our clients into what Bowlby would describe as frightening, alien, and unacceptable emotion, we um, can trust that they're going to share with us about what's important. In the talk on the topic of um, intimacy and sex and couple therapy, of course, it's relevant um, because as you were saying earlier, James, and I think Ryan, both of you were discussing this, that that's key in terms of the attachment system. And that matters in terms of couple relationships. So again, I might not explicitly ask about that at the outset of therapy when I'm just meeting and joining with my client, but but for sure. And the, the other thing I'll say is that often when we start with really open-ended questions um, in a creative way that you know we all find our voices uh, with, mm. our clients will tell us all kinds of things and then we can get more specific uh, and uh, exploratory in a, a number of arenas that might feel very sensitive and intrusive initially. Yeah. And would it be fair to say, like, I, what I like about the care model as you wrote it out, in a way, it does feel like the open and it's like general, but it's giving us a guide. And each therapist it can then make decisions based upon the information and the way the not only what they're saying, but how they're saying it to you in the moment. Perfect. Okay. Exactly. Absolutely. That's right. So all of these dimensions are important. And all of these assessment questions that you've seen over the years in terms of gathering an attachment history are critical. But it, again, oftentimes when we, you know, zoom out and simply um, join with our clients from a place of cultural humility and curiosity, mm -hmm. a lot of that information um, will be forthcoming. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Leanne. Appreciate you. So we've got the context. We've got attachment. Now you're going to talk about relationship and therapeutic alliance. Yes. So for many of our clients, they might be telling their stories for the first time. So again, so important that we allow them the space and the safety mm. to do so in a way that fits for them and that matches and is attuned to their um, their their histories and their context yeah. and the context in which we provide in terms of the therapeutic space. So we stay attuned um, to our clients. We want to create a safe haven alliance. If there are ruptures along the way, we want to manage those. Uh, in the context of couple and family therapy, of course, you've all heard many times how important it is to um, ensure that each family member or each partner in the relationship feels safe and secure and that there's space uh, for both to feel validated and seen and heard and understood, not just by the therapist, but by other members um, of the family or in the couple context. And in terms of the E, emotion, of course. <laughs> of course. It's an emotion-focused therapy, so that is central. But in the, I, I think one of the things that I've um, really been noting in recent trainings is it is emotion-focused, but the emotion might be very quiet. Mm. And when we talk about creating corrective emotional experiences to unblock barriers to growth or to move our couples or our families into bonding experiences, into a more secure attachment, a felt sense of security with self and with others, it might be really quiet. 
for some clients, but that doesn't mean it's not powerful and level four and above on the experiencing scale. So that's more a comment with regard to process and therapeutic process later. At the outset of therapy, I think James, you touched on it. That's right. We're not only listening to what our clients say, but how they say it. And again, attachment theory guides us. We're tuning into whether our clients tend to um, suppress emotion or amplify it or some combination of both, or in a secure attachment, whether they're, they're able to move with and through the emotion that characterizes a rich and full life and that allows and affords for ongoing growth and development. We look past diagnosis. Many times people will come to us with a history of um, experiences in the mental health system. And they'll, you know, when they describe themselves, they describe themselves as others have. Mm. And again, that narrows our perspective. So, of course, we're all familiar with DSM and other diagnostic um, systems. And we that gives us some information. But we let that wash over us and we tune into some of the key elements mm. um, that our clients describe. So when you share about feeling depressed, what does that mean for you? What does that look like? What does depression look like for you? Help me to understand what that looks like and feels like. And we pay attention, of course, to emotional handles, Sue's great term, poignant images, words, phrases that really um, capture our client's experience. And oftentimes when we're walking through their neighborhoods or their homes or their um, broader context, those images are quite naturally forthcoming. And when we listen and tune in th through the lens of attachment with care, we um, can bookmark some of those key phrases. I felt alone. I was tired. I was scared whatever the, the words might be that really capture. And once again, as instruments in this process, we can feel it. And when we feel it, we know it's meaningful and we can then, um, we may not focus on it or tune into it in more explicit ways initially, but we can bookmark it. And that can be a part of our notes, for example. Mm. Man, Leanne, thank you so much. I love this. Like, and, you know, one, one thing I would sometimes do with the emotion part, too, as a part of the assessment is, and this is I'm kind of taking from Catherine Ream here, too, but like, you know, what happens when you experience your own emotion? Like, how do you respond to your own emotion is one of my yeah, that's questions a great on question. that one, too, right? Like, is it, and they, they, do I expect them to know clearly what I'm asking there? Not, not 100%, but it's like, you know, in your times of sadness, what do you do with sadness? What do you do with joy? What happens when you get angry? To get a sense of what's their orientation to their own sense of, and how much are they aware? Because it's not only what they give me information, but even if they're not aware, that just gives me another clue. Like, oh, this person has no 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 sense or you know organization around their own emotion. We don't kind of expect them to. That's kind of why they're somewhat in our office, right? But I want to figure out where they are. And I loved your, your statement too, Leanne. I don't want to miss this too. It's a nugget, I think. And you, you didn't say it these exact ways, but look past diagnosis to tune into the key elements. We look past it. Not that we ignore it. We know the DSM is there, but I love that to get to the key elements. And then what you're doing is you're letting your client tell your story about depression, about anxiety, about PTSD, about their trauma versus like kind of like, well, 
people with depression are like this or people with anxiety are like that. And it's more like you kind of dignify them to like own to t- help tell you their story. I appreciate that part. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, one of the ways that I think about it is that we get a lot of information and we really filter it through this lens of attachment to mm-hmm. tune into um, our client's view of themselves, our client's view of others, mm-hmm. and of course, the way they move with themselves and the world relationally, um, mm-hmm. emotionally and experientially. Yeah, I like that you even call it, like you said, once again, tuning in with care. Now, when I think about this care model, just for our listeners to make sure they can install this information, you know, I typically think of it as an orientation around from the first, like really, it probably guides me in the first four sessions is where the care model is really more explicitly. But I like what you said, not that we throw it away. We're always attuned to it, but it really helped me organize and get a little bit cleaner in those first four sessions some more. And even in one of our trainings, you had me see a couple and I used the care model to show even in session one, how we used the care model when we did our attachment injury repair model training. Yes. And it was brilliant, James. I loved it. That was great. I like how she says brilliant. It makes me want to go see a client right now. When Leanne tells you something's brilliant, it makes you want to go do more. <laughs> That's why she's good, man. That's why she's good. She draws it out. Let me, let me, let me be the uh, antithetical person here. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I love what you're saying. Um, I'm writing notes over here about what to expand and, and maybe what not to expand as much. Yeah. So we want to expand the person in the person's story, whereas a diagnosis might retract or whatever better word would be than expand. Um, so yeah, we want, yes. yeah, yeah, we want to look past the diagnosis. Not that we ignore it, but we want to look at how it does make sense and the good reasons they may have to to uh, behave in the way they do. What does the care model have you look less at? Right, I think that's a big challenge as a psychotherapist. Is it's like okay, this person has forty four years of story. We can't go get all of that. What what aspects are we highlighting the most? What are we making sure we don't miss? What language would you put around that? Yeah, great question. Well, as you both know, my focus for many years now has been in the areas of trauma and loss and grief. And so once I have all of this rich information um, about a person's story and I and one of the things that I think about in terms of, um, you know, ensuring that we have enough context is can we validate, can we make exquisite sense of the way that our clients um, move with us and in the world relationally and, and personally, that we, that we can actually reflect it back, mirror it back um, so that they feel seen and understood and so that they too can begin to see themselves and begin to um get curious about themselves and explore um, this some of this painful material that has shaped them and, and is now blocking them from this organic growth process that we all believe in from an experiential humanistic perspective. So one of the questions that I might ask is um, you've shared with me and I'll, yeah, maybe I'll reflect back their story and, and um, keep it quite general. And, and when you look back on the landscape of your life, what stands out for you? What, what's the first thing that comes up for you? And that's a starting point for um, charting the therapy course and for focusing that session. And what we know from the trauma literature and uh, for sure from all kinds of clinical experience is that 
our client or um, whether it be an individual or a couple or a family, all of those pivotal experiences that have shaped model of self and other and might be blocking um, self development and um, movement toward a felt sense of security do not need to be addressed. And we can trust that um, the client will help guide that. So I'm not sure, Ryan, if I answered your question. But Wait, what was that second to last sentence? Did you catch it too? Help me out here, well, Dr. Well, the, the one she got that hit me was um, was the part where we can trust our clients to lead us yeah. and guide us. That yeah. line. But you probably meant the sentence before that I one. did. I think you said, gosh, what did she say now? Can you, <laughs> can you run it back, Leanne, about what, um, what, you, what you don't need to address oh, was exactly what? You don't need to address things that... We don't have to, for example, um, you know, Yezda and well so many uh, of our clients there are a number of experiences that have shaped and impacted model of self and other and blocked ongoing growth and development and you know the capacity to love and be loved all of the elements of secure attachment that we're moving toward in um, EFT but we don't have to revisit each and every one of those pivotal experiences to um, to move our clients. And we can also assume that as we unblock some of these key barriers, um, most significant barriers to growth, that the organic growth process takes hold and we can get out of the way. And if they have some security in um, their relationships outside the therapeutic context, they're going to continue 100% undoubtedly, to grow and evolve in those most important relationships that they um, have developed and are nurturing. And of course, more naturally nurturing um, when some of these barriers to connection and growth are removed. All right. So we make, we want to make sure we catch, we reflect, we give space to, to the most significant variables that impact attachment. Yes. Model of self, model of other, and what blocks growth. So yeah. all the ex all the experiences in their life that most affect that, we want to make sure we catch those. Yep, yep, yep. Right. So, for example, um, you know, someone may have been bullied in middle childhood, um, may have um, experienced a sexual assault in adolescence. Uh, I mean, I'm thinking specifically of a, another client that we talk about in the primer, um, stalking and um, domestic violence in early adulthood. But we didn't, and we, um, and there's no indication that we need to revisit each of those traumatic experiences um, for this client to be able to grow and move forward. 100%. So it's a great question. What do you ignore? What do you pay attention to? And what do you ignore? I, th I think I, don't, I would say I don't want to ignore anything. Um, but what I pay attention to and focus on most certainly is guided by attachment and the lens of attachment. And what we work on is guided by the client and by ongoing assessment, actually, um, and tuning into where they are. Are they able 
to now move with and through emotion and use it as a compass for life? And are they now able to not only give love, but can they receive love? Can they take in the love of their partner? And that helps us to know and gauge where we are in the overall therapeutic process. Lovely. I like it. And, and it is a great challenge, I think. We often say on our podcast, the hardest part of EFT is focus. And, and sort of that second statement that's a little bit saying the same thing is, your time limited. If it's if it's a one hour session, or even if you're doing an intensive, you only have so many hours. So it's extremely important the clinical decisions you make of what to expand and what to retract. And so, mm-hmm. thank you so much for sharing the care model because the care model really runs down the middle of, in my in my Arkansas words here, uh, don't miss this stuff, right? And and helps you, you know, maybe de-identify some things that we don't have to care quite as much about. Mm-hmm. And it draws our attention to... <laughs> nice. <laughs> I noticed that, that we don't have to care quite as much about. That's right. I love that. And that's why I'm glad that you shared your work here. Not only yours, I definitely want to give a shout out to Fionn and to Med and to Jim. And thank you for them as a team working together to give us... I mean, it's so great that something like that's called the Care Model came from a team of EFT therapists to help uh, help the community get better. I really do appreciate that. Because for me, it does, like, I think it focuses on the big ticket items and the patterns we need to see to do what you said at the end. You, that was a great summation you said, Leanne, are, like, to help me, like, are they now able to work with and through emotion? And we'll deal with the things that come up that blocks them from doing that without having, that's why you don't have to revisit everyone. If we do one or two of them well enough and they get the process down, they'll deal with those memories as they come up. And then I liked when you said, are they going back to like, you know, this is like Philip Shaver's adult romantic relationship, but you, are they able to give and to receive love? That's beautiful. And if we address those things within the care model, we're looking for those things in the contextual variables that have impacted them. I had one client, he's been in America for a while, but when I found out he was from Haiti, hold on a second, were you in Haiti during, because he didn't mention it, were you in Haiti during the earthquakes? Yes. Yeah. Hold on. What was life like before for you before the, the earthquakes? And what was life like for you after? And it was a dramatic difference. He lost a connection with his sense of emotion to survive that day. And he's been living that way since. And it's affected his marriage. It affected his career. But because of this care model, understanding, hey, there's a context that this client comes from. And that was a key variable that was a part of it, like going to it, Ryan. So we do focus on that that day. But if he said something like, you know, there's this one good time, this guy – you know, flip me off on the bus and cuss me out. Well, I'm probably not going to focus on that because it didn't shape how he deals with his emotions. So it's not going to be a big ticket item that takes up my time. So I just really am excited. As you can tell, like this, I like things that take and make a, a complex process and make it a little bit more simple. That makes it tangible for people to learn. And I think that's what your team has given the EFT world. Beautiful. I love what you said about the before and after. That's one of my favorite questions. <laughs> yeah. If Leanne, this is Leanne's favorite question. I'm keeping it. <laughs> Endorsed by Leanne. I know. We should. That's right. Well, Leanne, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your work on this platform and helping um, our therapists to be able to push their leading edge and push the leading edge with their clients as well. Really appreciate you. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Leanne. Thank you both so much. A pleasure always. Please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a five-star review. You can contact us at push the leading edge at gmail.com and you can follow us on our facebook page at push the leading edge you can follow ryan on facebook at 
Ryan Rayner Professional Training and on his website, ryanraynertraining.com. You can follow James on Facebook and Instagram at DocHawkLPC. You can also check out his website, DocHawkLPC.com. Thank you.